just for life. Your life is our life. Yes, Lord, you came and you brought healing. Oh, God, that's why we stand today. Not in our own making, but because you made it as you went to the cross and said, it is finished. It is done. Because of the cross, we are a people. Because of the cross, we can call him creator of all things. We can call him Abba, Father. Yes, Abba, Father. Thank you that you are leading us on. Thank you that beyond us as a family, it's this whole nation you watched over us. Yes, Lord, despite the situations and circumstances, the difficulty, economies, and economy, and everything, Lord, you still watched over your people. You brought this nation to where we are, and you are taking us further because we have a promise in you that it shall be well. And because the Lord lives, we shall live as a people. Because the Lord is on the throne, we are sure is watching over us. And if the Lord is watching over us, then it is well with us. Hallelujah. Nothing can take us away from your goodness. It is your, the word of the Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that love of God ensures that we are well looked after. We are well protected. We are well provided for. We are led every day. We are watched over when we lay our heads to rest. We are working in a new day. The Lord goes before us. So we ascribe greatness to you, ancient of days. We ascribe to you holiness because that's what belongs to you. And you have called us to you. You made us for your pleasure. So receive pleasure, Lord, in this gathering. Receive pleasure in this uh, thanksgiving moment that we bring to you. Receive pleasure, Lord, as you walk with us this entire year, because you are our God, you are our light. In you, Lord, we are. Yes, in you, Lord, we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. You may kindly listen. I should prepare to get into the word shortly. Our media team has put together some highlights, looking back and preparing us for the give a chance to share some of those highlights with us. It's a threshold moment. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The Spirit of God has moved in a special way. I believe that God is raising up a generation in the church that is going to do exploits 
We are here in Richmond, Virginia, and we are so excited. Mega is here at Mount Gilead. It's been an amazing, amazing, amazing time. Uh, first, uh, we're standing here uh, in Richmond, Virginia, in the United States of America. I am so grateful and thankful to God for this partnership with Shalom. Uh, a great friend of mine, we've known each other since around 1996, and we dreamed of a day, a day that would come where we would be able to bring uh, a partner such as uh, Bishop Banda here uh, from North Mean Assemblies of God, and they're all choir. They, they were here with us even today uh, in our service, and I'm just so, so excited about this partnership and all that God is doing. What we are discussing at this time this is very critical for our times. Sometimes we are changed, but people don't see the change. And so that's no change at all. Sometimes we are changed, but people don't see the real transformation. That yesterday, your lifestyle wasn't good enough. But today, we can see the difference. Be very careful what you say about Zambia. I beg you. Don't say anything about Zambia that does not align with what Bless this nation. He wants to find somebody who would just let him be God. He, he wants to find somebody that, that don't put restrictions on him because they seem restricted in a certain environment. It really doesn't matter the environment that you're in. What matters is the God that has power to pull you up out of that environment. You know, Pastor Gladys, you experienced the home that we're in, but I grew up in a home where it was like a double-wide trailer. It was nice and it was double, but it wasn't much to it because we had holes all in and in, 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 throughout our house. We didn't fix things. If it broke down, it stayed broke. I remember we had a cinder block bricks that were... Um, that were connected to the front door. They began to disintegrate. They began to announce. During the course of our service, we will uh, take you through some of what the Lord gave us as we commence with the teachings today. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. We're looking forward to great things in this new year as we commence. Uh, as you're finding Matthew 28, um, let's go to verse number 16 to set the context for what we are sharing today. <clears throat>
Matthew 28-16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So, uh, theme verse or post passage here, beginning at verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, So you can tell that what he's saying here is in uh, as an attempt to actually address the condition in which they were. And that condition is described in verses 16 and 17. So he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Lord, that blessing the reading of His Word. Amen. Now, today we'll have an accompanying scripture going alongside this one. So, let me go ahead and ask you to go there with me. Acts chapter 17. The accompanying scripture. Matthew 28, we run through for, for the year. And another passage that we taught from during the crossover, which I'll be introducing shortly, we run side by side with Matthew 28. This is our part of our focus for today. Acts 17, verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where they where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. It's part of what the choir was singing about. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up bad characters. That's an interesting description. From where? From the marketplace. <coughs> they rounded up bad characters from the marketplace. <laughs> Alright, 
Sounds very familiar. From the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. The heart of man has not changed much. Same survival. Started a riot in the city. They rushed to, the, to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd, the same Kaponya crowd. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come, have now come here. Now, the other version says these people who have turned the world upside down. You like that one? <laughs> have come here also. Alright. The Lord are blessing the reading of His word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For the opportunity to gather again in your presence. Thank you for this fresh new year. And what lies ahead of us. We now pray that you touch and bless the ministry of your word. Meet us at the very point of our needs. When all is said and done, we will kneel humbly at your feet. As we thank you for using us. Touch and bless your people and grant hope to the hopeless. Grant healing to those who are ailing and are wounded and bruised by so many circumstances. When all is said and done, once again, Lord, we will kneel humbly at your feet. We will thank you for using us. We speak these mercies and seek for their fruition. Through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. Be kind of Someone is afraid to to go. So if you are car owner or ALK seventeen eighty nine, ALK seventeen eighty nine is um, Thank you very much. Do you attend to that so that uh, someone who needs help can be attended? Thank you very much. As you notice, our theme for the year is harvest retention. Discipled to decide. We'd like to commence with part one of our teachings today to lay the ground foundation for the rest of what we will be doing and there will be activities that we will share around the objectives that we have for the year and as we roll those out we are trusting God for some wonderful things but our focus for today to begin our foundational teachings under the theme for the year is engaging the ordinary for extraordinary results. Engaging the ordinary for extraordinary results. 
as we did the launch during the crossover service, we established the following things. First, we indicated that there is a general understanding of the believer's calling that we need to get to. So we laid out what we sensed God was saying to us as we prepare for the new year. And one of the key issues is to understand the believer's calling. So we went to John 15, verse 9 to 16. And basically laid out a number of things which I will highlight here shortly. But we also observed in terms of background, God always ministers into situations as they occur. We observe that as we listen to many end-of-year messages and reflections, it becomes abundantly clear that people are tired of empty promises. And I specifically refer to one caption that's been circulated where somebody is addressing a particular nation in Africa where they have lots of large churches and lots of things that uh, have been happening there. But he was bemoaning the fact that despite all that, crime was on the increase and so on. And he zeroed in on saying probably one of the challenges is that while people have these great churches and many things spoken. His analysis was that people attach to what people say, but they're not really attaching themselves to the reality of the gospel. And I couldn't agree more with him. But you heard a lament in that cry. In, in, in those words, there was a lament. And I believe that that's, that's the general setting around the world when uh, we are in, ending a year and, and maybe starting a new one. I say that it's also clear that many believers are frustrated, particularly with the negativity that's rising against Christians, even in our own Christian nation. Some level of unhealthy negativity rises against Christians. And part of it is as a result of what I have referred to here in my analysis as poor testimonies obtaining in industry and in the marketplace. What do I mean? The fact that maybe believers who are expected to do better in representing Christ, in some cases have not done as well as they ought to. And sometimes that gives occasion for those who are already opinionated against Christ to now talk and say, you see, you see, but I also say, even if that is the case, we should not be surprised. Because what is obtaining out there was prophesied about by the Lord Jesus. Because he said, and I quote, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall what cold. These are the times in which we live. Iniquity is abounding. And some may be failing. Some may not be doing as well as they ought to. 
But my call is that believers must return to the scriptures and rediscover their calling in the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's what I believe the Lord is taking us to in 2020 as He calls our attention to harvest retention and observing that we are discipled to disciple. So as we lay the foundation for the 2020 thing, I have a reminder for you. Yes, there may be those that are taking advantage of the failings of any one of your brothers and sisters and they're wanting to have these generalized condemnations of Christians and, and uh, in, 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 our, in, the nation, in the nation of Zambia, even talking down our, our aspiration for being a Christian nation. And I've observed that sometimes that's even within among believers, just feeling like this is a useless exercise for us and there's nothing to it. So I am here to remind you that as an individual, while they may talk down generally against Christianity, you know very well that there are some of you listening to me right now who have a firm and genuine commitment to Jesus. And you know that by God's grace, you are doing what God wants you to do. And my take is this. If that's your position, that there's something genuine inside you, God is at work. What they say generally about Christianity and the negativity they present cannot change the genuine faith that's working in your life. I said, that cannot change. And because of you and what God is doing in your life, there is hope that you can truly present what the Lord is seeking to address here in the scriptures. And we saw some Three facts about the believer's calling from John 15. Which in my view, we must celebrate. Number one, we saw that Jesus was saying to these believers. If you read John 15, he's actually talking to them in a very assuring manner. In fact, it's probably best that we read a portion of John 15 in a very assuring manner. And I want to say the same to you today. Sometimes we easily get discouraged. But especially now with social media, when we see what, what the opinions of people are, you begin to feel, ah, what's all this? I'm here to remind you, it doesn't matter what opinion they hold, there is a genuine work of Jesus going on in your life. And that's enough! Somebody shout hallelujah! Nobody can erase that. So let's listen to the conversation of Jesus. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, this is Jesus speaking and stating a fact. It didn't matter what the Pharisees thought out there, it didn't matter what the negative people were saying out there. In fact, they called Jesus' names. And as you saw in Acts 17, we will be reading again, they had all kinds of opinions. Can you imagine bad characters? 
going to the marketplace and gathering other bad characters and them going to get innocent people and fighting against them. It didn't change a hint of the fact that even though they were persecuting them, it didn't change what was real inside Jason, inside Paul and the believers at that time in Antioch. There was a genuine work of the Lord that had gone on. In fact, that's why verse 6 says, they recognize that those who had, in their view, caused trouble elsewhere. The other version said, turn the world upside down. What it is is that whatever these people had done out there was so impactful that they took note. They recognized them. And they said, those who have caused trouble elsewhere, those who turned the world upside down, have come here also. It was an indirect recognition of the fact that there was a genuine work going on. Hallelujah. So I want us to start there. And this is what's happening in your life. Despite all the comments, let's let's speak of the negative comments on social media about your life, about the church, about Christianity, about individuals, even sometimes about your own brothers and sisters. And please be careful. Because sometimes as believers, you fall into the temptation of laughing at your own brothers alongside the unbelievers, alongside those who do not honor the work of Christ. Don't ever do that. When a brother stumbles or falls, it's not time for you to rejoice. It is time for you to reach out to them and wrap your arms around them and say, I'm here. We must pick each other up. But I know what I'm talking about. Because as a pastor, I hear a lot and see a lot. If a brother that has made a mistake wasn't one of your favorite ones, you go around actually almost uh, indirectly happy that, you see me, I knew. And you know what you're doing there is you're joining the chorus of the unregenerate, the chorus of those who do not honor the work of Christ. And that should never be the case. Is everybody hearing the message of Jesus? And we need to be extremely careful. We don't want to excuse sin or anything. But what does the Bible say? When one of you stumbles, it says, let those who are strong reach out to them. Remembering that you are also human. Read Galatians 5. Restoring them in meekness. That's what it says in 5 and 6. So, Jesus observed the following, the following of three facts. Number one, he observed the fact that even though there was all this taking place, the believer's calling subsists and he is determined and developed by relationship. So he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And he says, therefore, remain in me. We're talking about retention there. Now, remain in my love. Because it's the love that sustains. Verse number 10. 
If you obey my commands, and we're going to come back to the issue of obedience, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. That's number 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Verse number 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Uh, can you hear the message of the Lord here? And his greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus introduces a totally new concept here. Verse number 14. And he says, verse number 14. It's coming. You are my friends. Hallelujah. How about that? When the Lord himself calls you a friend. He says, you are my friends. But this setting. Uh, if you do what I command. Verse number 15. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So this is an important concept for this year. This is the ideal of retention. This is fruit that will remain. Fruit that will last. Then he says, then, so this is consequential, positively consequential. So he says, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. When? When you bear fruit and you bear fruit that lasts. Then, excuse me, just lost my two. Uh, please help me. Then, the good thing is, in this life, that can never happen to you. You can never fall out of his hands. Never. He's got your grip. That can never happen with God. He's, huh? I've just dropped my son. <laughs> In his hands, you're firm. You're firm. Completely firm and secure. But we human beings drop things. And this year, may you never drop your brother or your sister. I said, this year, may you never drop your brother or your sister. Pastor Agar is talking about Bimbaland. They have a word where you sort of say it's like this is not right so, so you never fritter your brother or your sister never drop them you must hang on to one another in Jesus name he says then the father will give you whatever you ask of in my name when it's assembled I will be happy to have it back alright now that's the scenario Let's go back to the point. The point we made in the crossover is the fact that the believer's calling is determined and developed by relationship. So the relationship we have with Jesus Christ is what really sustains us. That's what sustains us. 
And it is that which I would like you to focus on. Not the opinions of people. Not their thoughts. Not their comments. About Christianity. Not their disclaimers. Not their insinuations of, of uselessness. Because your life in Christ is not useless. And in this year, God will make you fruitful. But it is fruit that will remain. So we establish that believers' calling is determined and developed by relationship. Secondly, oh, in fact, let me take you back. We took time to define relationship. Relationship in general knowledge, in general understanding, is the way in which two or more things are connected or the state of being connected. So you and I have this connection with Christ which is unbreakable. Hallelujah. That connection must of necessity be the thing that sustains you and I and our relationships with one another. Alright, still alive. So there's a connection. And and I was saying that in this life people think about the connections they have, who they know, who they know in industry, and so you have the greatest connection on the face of the earth. Amen. It's the connection with heaven. Amen. King of kings and the Lord of Lords. But we must allow ourselves to thrive best on this connection that we have and allow that your calling is given a new lease of life by observing that it's determined and developed by relationship. Second, we say that the calling of a believer is defined and driven by command. We define the command as um, an authoritative order. An authoritative order. It can also mean to dominate. Say a strategic position. From a superior height. So Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18. All authority is given to me. That's, that's a, a, a statement made. From a very high level command, an authoritative order. And Jesus is basically saying that He's got commands that He's given to us. And He says, You become my friends if you do my commands. So, which means the commands He gives to us actually define the things we are called to do because we are connected to Him. We are connected to Him. And so we emphasize that in John 15. And we went on to say the believer's calling is also directed by commission. A commission, we say, when used as a verb, must be understood as that which is done 
to order or authorize production of something. So in other words, there are specific things that God is, is, is dealing with that He's saying must be done by you and I. So you and I must identify things that He wants to run along the production line. And my indication on the crossover night was that you and I must actually get on the production line. I give the example of going. They had challenges in 2016 because of crushes of one of what they thought was going to be their most popular brand of the 737 jets. You know, they have a, a one that is, has been enduring for a while. If you consider the workhorse of the Boeing brand, the 777. 777 is a long-haul jet and jet liner. And it's, Boeing has, has done very well with that. So the 737 MAX was this special brand that they thought was just going to give them a break and uh, give them an edge over uh, their competitors. But when there were repeated crashes of that brand, the, the, the authorities commanded that that uh, uh, brand be stopped. So, the 737 could no longer run, no longer fly. But while it was grounded, if you watch the news, during this period, about 400 of the same plan, plane were actually produced. Why? Because they were already on the production line. They had to complete them. While negotiating with the uh, authorities to see how they can get it up and going. And of course, as you know, that hasn't happened yet. And I am saying to you and I, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. If you are on the production line, life must continue. Doesn't matter what people say. Doesn't matter what they do to you. And it doesn't matter what happens in your life. So this year, let's get on the production line. Somebody shout hallelujah. There is a commission over our lives. An order has been issued for us to go and make disciples of all nations. That's in order to get on the production line. And that's what we're looking for this year. So this is what prepares us. We're authorized. It means something to bring something newly produced into working condition. So in my view, this addresses both of what is very um, common in Christianity. We're either inactive or um, unable to, uh, to deliver on some things that God wants us to deliver because we've somehow become dysfunctional. But in this year, in case you were dysfunctional last year, may God enable you to get back in line and begin to be in a working condition where God can use you. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. So the idea of commission suggests that even something that's newly produced but is not immediately in a working condition can be placed 
into a working condition. Your faith can work better. Your commitment can improve. So as we launch this theme that brought us to Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, which is our, uh, our focus for, for the year, and uh, we will use this for God to help us to go into retention mode where we can preserve the fruit that God has placed in our hands. Now, one of the things that was a key highlight last year was the life groups. As you notice from the testimonies, and that's only one. There are literally hundreds. If I ask the media team to keep compiling, you will be amazed. We don't even have enough Sundays to go through those things. The incredible things that God accomplished through the life groups. And um, we'll be sharing some numbers in um, the report, like I mentioned, which the operations team is working on. And uh, when you look at all that the Lord did across the, the city, east, west, north, south, we can't just celebrate and say this is what God did. We must now get into a model we must conserve. As Haggai talked about Bembala, and they need to try and take some farmers there so that they can make better use. I, mean, I think that's my interpretation of what you were saying. So they would make better use of the land. <laughs> Wherever there is farming activity and crop is being harvested, you will also see attempts towards preserving that particular harvest. So if you go into the villages, you will find, like where I come from, the wise people. We have, in our area, we have what we call Kokwe, or Wittala. Kokwe, and Kokwe is that thing that they make. They lift it off the ground, mostly. After the harvest has been brought, some of it is going directly on the table and it's being made a meal, but then they take the harvest and they put it in, the, in these granaries. The commercial version of that are the silos. The, the grain silos that are put up in order to preserve. If you go to what was former Nambod, you go on Mungu, that, is that Mungu Road? Eh? Yes. Yeah, that's Mungu Road. Where Nambod used to be, National uh, Agriculture Marketing Board. They have those silos. Grain is stored there. Food Reserve Agency builds a number of those locations where grain is stored. It's an attempt to preserve the harvest and keep it for a time when it can be used and utilized. So the mode for the believer is that as we are engaged in the harvest, as we were in the past year, and we've been running with harvest for two years now, we're going into the third year of harvest, there must be a mode and understanding of saying, what do we do with the souls? What do we do with the lives of the people whom we have touched? We don't just want to keep registering 1,000 souls, 1,000 this, or this, that, and the other. No, no, we've got to keep going back and saying, okay, we've done this now. What does God want us to do now? That is the life of the believer. That is the calling of the believer. And the Great Commission is meant to help us feel positioned and understand we are positioned 
and authorized to operate in that mold. Somebody shout hallelujah. So with that, I want to just lay the ground for some of our, uh, our response to what God wants us to do. This is why I want us to talk about engaging the ordinary for extraordinary results. So Jesus had been on earth for three years. He had done some powerful things across the cities. And he had raised for himself a group of people. But you see now, he had died for a moment. And of course rose again. The group that he had raised was in a bit of disarray because they weren't sure what to do. This is where we find them in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Let's go there. Very warm in here. Let's go there. So we find What I have found out is that um, a lot of believers don't trust themselves to yield result for the kingdom. They don't. They would like to believe that there are certain people who can do this. Who are these people? They will look at pastors, they look at apostles, they look at evangelists, they will look at elders, they look at deacons. Yeah, those are the people who are supposed to produce result for the kingdom. Believers, ordinary believers, do not trust themselves sufficiently to be part of what I'm about to explain here. And that's why we must begin there. So that is why sometimes when Christianity is, for instance, belittled by people, you sort of distance yourself and say, ah, yeah, it's like it's for the visible people. But you as a believer, remember, I'm here to remind you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's a genuine work of Christ going on in your life. Which I would like you to give some attention to and begin to celebrate. So engaging ordinary for extraordinary results. The 11 disciples, everybody say disciples. So they were disciples already, alright? Jesus had spent three years and raised them, poured his life into them. Remember, on the basis of relationship, he had already said to them, whatever the Father has given me, I have also shared with you. So there's full disclosure. He had empowered them. And these were ordinary people. They went to Galilee. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So let's give them credit. At least they went in the right direction. Because what's clear here is that Jesus had given some command that at some point this is where they need to go. So at least they went in the right direction. And I must say to you, sometimes when doubts overshadow you, you must at least remember you have done one thing right. You have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's a strong position to be at. Never belittle that. I know you have pain. I know you have struggles. But you have emphasized your struggles too much. You have looked 
lot of lords, is actually resident in your life. What could be better than that? And I have come to remind you that with Christ in you, you have the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 27. Paul said, Christ in me. Uh, please say it with me. Christ in me. Christ in me is the hope of glory. Now, he's ordinary. When they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now that's ordinary. That's ordinary. And there are some of you here today. I must say, you have doubted yourself for too long. That should not be the life of the believer. You've allowed your doubts, your fears. Yeah, you may have weaknesses, and all of us do have them. But you've allowed your weaknesses to get the better end of you. And you allowed 2019 to pass. There was so much power going on in the life groups. But you allowed yourself to remain weak. And you remain unconnected. Not joining a life group. And if that's been your case, I'm wanting you to know that you can override that in this new year. And you can join and be connected. I'm very serious about that. Because you need to take some deliberate steps to try and reinforce what God has already begun to do in your life. Sometimes you belittle yourself too much. But the Bible says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Some doubt it. This is ordinary. That's normal. So you're not the first one who is being overshadowed by doubt. You're not the first one who is being, feeling crushed by fears. You're not the first one. And I bring hope to you. And I'm trusting that in this new year, you, the ordinary doubter, the ordinary person who is under fear and who's been crushed by things that you fear about yourself and others, I pray that God will open a new door for you in this new year. And I'm about to share with you how ordinary can become extraordinary. Somebody shout hallelujah. Some doubt. I know you've read verse 18, but I want you to notice now that on account of what was happening in verse 16 and 17, where some doubted, there was fear in their hearts. That humanity was real in that circumstance. Observe, the Bible says, then Jesus said, so this commission is coming literally, first of all, to address the condition in which they were. Because in that condition, they couldn't go out and do what was supposed to be done. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Somebody shout hallelujah. Alright. So then, let me lead you. I want us to define ordinary. In the dictionary, ordinary is defined as follows. With no special or distinctive features. Ordinary is described as normal. 
That's the only thing. Nothing special. No distinctive features. That's the description of ordinary in the dictionary. That means that's the description of all of us here. The normal you and the I. The things we, we, we experience. I looked at extraordinary. I, li I always like to do this, this kind of exercise. I looked at extraordinary. And in the dictionary it reads, very unusual. <coughs> or remarkable. Ah, so, if we're going to engage ordinary into extraordinary, I am suggesting to you this year that the ordinary you, God wants to take you and bring remarkable things in this life. Amen. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Remarkable things can be done. Remarkable things can be registered in this life. When Pastor Hagen was praying here, he referred to the seed of Abraham. And I don't know whether you caught the wording in part of that prayer. He did use the word ordinary as well. Because this is an ordinary, God takes ordinary. Abraham was an ordinary man with weaknesses like anyone else. But God took him. And look where we are. All of us today are children of Abraham. God can take ordinary and make extraordinary. Somebody shout out. So the ordinary is you getting up every morning, going to work. You getting up every morning, doing the school runs. You getting up every morning, going to do business. You getting up every morning, walking yourself to school or whatever it is that you have to do. That's ordinary. Now you know very well. That there's more to life than just those ordinary things. But I remind you, God uses ordinary people. And as we lay this foundation, I want us to prepare. To prepare. To engage this ordinary for extraordinary results. Lift up one hand and say, Lord, it is my desire that you take ordinary me and bring about extraordinary results. And may the Lord answer your prayer. May the Lord answer your prayer. May the Lord answer your prayer in this new year. In Jesus' name. Come with me to Acts chapter 4 and verse number 13. Before we make some application. We will be closing shortly. And I want the team to prepare for the clip after I make the next application. Then we will now have a clip and begin to tie up our lesson. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 13. The Bible says this. When they saw the courage, everybody say courage, of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Zambia is waiting for these kinds of people. 
Ordinary You, Mr. Wilson Band. Ordinary You. This has become very infamous. <laughs> but that's where you are working. So ordinary Wilson Band working for this God is ready for you. Take ordinary Wilson banter and do extraordinary things in infamous Zesco. <laughs> all those blackouts. This is God. This is God. This one is that. Taking ordinary people. So I want to show you from God's word. How an ordinary person like you who never, maybe I mean, maybe, maybe I'll say never, but maybe God may call you. But right now you're not a pastor, you're not a bishop, you're not a prophet. At least you haven't said so. <laughs> you're not any of these big things. When God called these men, they were not apostles, He made them apostles. He made them disciples. They were not disciples when He called them. He made them disciples. And that's why He begins by addressing people right where they are at. So, what does it look like to have ordinary things? Saying to God, I'm ready for extraordinary things. Zambia is waiting. I said, Zambia is waiting. Zambia is waiting for ordinary people. Ordinary people. Ordinary people. I mean ordinary people. Amen. I know what I'm talking about because as a pastor, I hear what people say. I know at least you are a bishop. Your family is secure. Mm, what secures my family is not by being a bishop. What secures my family is my personal application of what God has deposited inside me to my daily life. I love my wife Amen. as I ought to and to be faithful to her. Amen. Because you know there are people who carry titles like I, I do. Who have been unfaithful to their wives. So the, the, the having a title doesn't secure us. God is still looking for ordinary people to know how to run the office of a bishop. Ordinary people. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Lift up your hand. And say, Lord, Lord I'm eager. I'm eager. For ordinary me. Ordinary me. To do extraordinary things. So the people took Lord. They were ordinary men. And they, and, and they were astonished that they took Lord that these men have been with Jesus. So I'm starting at the one place of letting you know that knowing Jesus is a powerful thing. Forget this social media frenzy about the insults against Christianity and uh, uh, failed Christian nation or whatever. Forget that. I'm telling you there is you. And you are real. Amen. There's you. Ordinary you. And you know what you've been able to accomplish for Jesus. And I'm saying to you, there is more that you can do. 
There is more that you will do. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So, I want us for a moment. Please give me the next line in the notes. And then we'll watch a clip. Then we bring this to a close. I want you for a moment to observe. In my view, extraordinary is described as false. When we apply this truth to our lives, my understanding in simple terms is that extraordinary means taking the ordinary and placing it in the empowering hands of the Lord. This is this is my this is my my uh, my definition of extraordinary. Just taking the ordinary and just placing it in the hands of the Lord. When you do that act, believe you, things change around you. The reason why sometimes we dwell so much around our fears and our concerns is that it's, it's a bit like this. Let's take it that this is your talent, this is your life, this is the stuff that, that you believe is, you know, makes you. I believe that there are times we bring this stuff to the Lord and we sometimes pray, 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 but after a while, graphically, I believe that we sort of take it away again. Because we, we, we are in and out. Jesus never drops us like a drop we are the ones that walk away. And the problem is that we are still a living sacrifice. It has not died at the altar. So we crawl away from the altar. We come and we at the altar. Pray, 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 pray. Cry, 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 cry. Talk, 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 talk. When everything settles, you walk away. It's like you take yourself away again. And the Lord was saying, no, 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 stay. I want to mold you. I want to work on you. I want to develop you. See, developing and working on a life, which is the principle of mentorship in life, has to do with proximity. There's always got to be a, a connection. And my understanding is that sometimes we sort of give to the Lord ourselves, and then we take ourselves away again. And what I mean there is that if you take this ordinary, and place it in the hands of Jesus and leave it there. Let it dwell there. You dwell there. You are positioned there. Then extraordinary things begin to happen. Hallelujah. And let me say that this may, according to research, and I'll show you just now, this goes as far as how many times you attend church. This goes as far as how many times you engage in the word. This goes as far as how many times you engage in the actual production line. All those things have a transformative capacity and potency over your life. So let me explain. So it means that the less you avail yourself to that which is godly, that's my understanding, is the less that the godly will impact you. The more you avail yourself to what is godly, is the more that the godly thing will impact you. Amen. So, there are dynamics here. 
And I'll be explaining it this year. Those dynamics about being, even just being present in church. Remember at the, um, uh, the family day, I shared with you some research showing that church attendance, just being in church, has serious positive impact on your life. Just being in church. This is empirical evidence from research. But there are varying degrees of the things that you do in church. The more you engage in the work, some more things happen. So which means that there has to be a growing degree to which you do the things that keep you on the production line. And that's what I want to call your attention. Um, and I'll make my point after this clip. We do two quick lessons and we'll be done. A recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80 and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week negligible effect. Now, at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like, there was a heartbeat. Something happened. Again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was a profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it would be one, two, three. I mean, there'd be a gradual incline on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four. Something <laughs> radically happened. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang four times a week in the Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time do you spend in the scripture? If they're in the scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, <laughs> sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there. Now you notice the last two areas of that result. Engaging in the word and the one with the most impact and result is engaging in discipleship. Where the spike on that graph shows a 230% result. What that means is that when ordinary you and I engage 
in these positive things of the world. Your growth goes higher the more you engage in God's things. You cannot sit on the fence. You cannot be satisfied with Sunday service attendance. You cannot be satisfied with reading the Bible once a week and at the time when we ask you to turn and open the Bible. So you understand what I'm talking about. Those results speak for themselves. And that is why I'm saying to you, if you're engaged like this and people are talking about Christianity and they're laughing about Christianity, you don't even have to worry because the result in your life is real. Somebody shout hallelujah. It is real. It means that even if people may speculate that, oh, we're not changing the nation, they're very mistaken. Because I know that if I have even a hundred of you engaged in the way you need to be engaged, the way I saw so many engaging last year, we are transforming the nation. We are. Their lives changing. The problem is we're reading this thing really on the level of our politics. That will come also. But their lives been touched and been touched deeply. Because according to the word, when we simply do what God wants us to do, the result is guaranteed. Amen. Guaranteed. People are touched. People are disciples. Lives are changed. So, there are two lessons from our passage today. Two quick lessons. Before we go to lessons, just a point before. So it really has to do with the question of surrender and obedience. That's what this boils down to. Surrender and obedience. So what are the two lessons? Lesson number one. Redefine your acts of surrender. What is it in your life that you will need to pick up and begin to surrender to God in a new way? So that in your personal graph, in life, that spike can keep going up, keep going up, 90%. Your loneliness can go down. Your feeling of accomplishment can go down. And all that can be, those dynamics begin to change. It's all related to what Jesus said we must do. That is keeping his commands. There is actually, there is no way that my apt commitment cannot bring back value to my life. Because Jesus has set the equation that way. That when you commit yourself more, there's something that happens to your life. And I want us to know, beloved, we will transform our communities and transform our nation. There's no way your workplace can remain the same when you, the ordinary person, is engaging with Jesus in the fashion we are talking about it. No way. No way. There's no way that your business associates will remain. No way. No way. They can't remain the same. Because of the power that Jesus is performing inside you. So lesson number one, redefine your acts of surrender. Very simple. It means a student in high school can redefine their acts of surrender. They're up there honest. It means a young person who's not yet married can redefine their surrender by cutting away from 
moral laxity and uh, this permissive life today of looking at wrong images and so on. And again, those things can't happen on their own. It's when you engage. And what was being said in the research days is that as people engage with the Word and with God's life, then the things around them began to change. Their loneliness was affected positively by being changed and dropped and eliminated in some cases. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. So, so you and I have an opportunity. Second lesson, quickly. Let's close. Second lesson is for you and I to redefine our acts of obedience. This is where I take us to Acts chapter 7. Redefining our acts of obedience. This thing boils down to obedience. Keith Green sang a song. To obey is better than sacrifice. He says, In there, I don't want your money. I want your life. I know at the beginning of the year, like this, you know, we're very eager, even when we are giving to the Lord, we just. You, give, you, you want to give more because you believe by giving more, some miracle will happen. And I believe in that. I believe in the fact that we must. We must do more. We must give more. It does show our commitment. But it's not a magic wand. It's not a magic formula. Sometimes even with you giving so much, if your heart is far away, there's nothing that that giving of money will do. It's the position of the heart. And it's a beautiful... Uh, and, uh, 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 Almost a, a demarketing thing to do, but I, I care less. The issue is it's not your money that matters. What matters is where your heart is at. But rather have you giving big offerings here and your heart is in the right place than you giving big offerings and your heart is far away. There must be a commitment. That is why Jesus was able to commend the lady with the mind. There were people who were more wealthy and who gave more. But what was Jesus' narration? That that lady, that poor lady with the might, had in essence given more than everybody. Why? It was the position of her heart, the condition of her heart. And today, I want to say something to you. Do not ever think too low of yourself. You, ordinary you, ordinary you, ordinary you are getting ready to engage with the Lord and you will produce extraordinary results in this year. You will produce extraordinary results this year. I want us to walk through this together. Trusting God. And learning to trust one another more. Learning to be there for one another more. And together we achieve more for Jesus Christ. Beloved, may God bless you. Because what we see in Acts 17 is a result of what God can do with ordinary people. Because they now, in the face of the greatest level of contention, where people are getting them and grabbing them and literally endangering their lives physically. 
And they didn't just wait for them as they were outside. They went to Jason's house, got inside, pulled them out, and beat them. But one thing they couldn't ignore is that these people had done some extraordinary things wherever they had gone. That's how they identified them. The people who had turned the world upside down had come here also. May Zambia see the impact you are able to bring. I said, may Zambia see the impact you are able to bring. On your job in industry, whether you're working in Zesco, in Napsa, in uh, what companies do you have here? Ratsa or Ratsa 2? <laughs> Ratsa. Ratsa. Zedai. Whatever you may be working, Ratsa. When I think Ratsa, I think the cameras. Alright. That's the, probably the worst thing that happened. <laughs> uh, for people who, like, who drive too fast, the worst thing that happened to you is for them to put cameras there. So now you're being watched all along. But don't worry about that. Wherever you work, I want us to make a difference. Zambia needs you. Zambia needs ordinary people who, with God, will do extraordinary things. And if we do so, we will retain the harvest and we can truly say we're going to be disciple to disciple. In the coming weeks, I want to go deeper and teach and show us how we can do this with Jesus. Welcome into 2020. Welcome to Harvest Retention because you are discipled to disciple. I'll ask the choir to come. Let's rise. Let's pick up one of those uh, McDowell tunes to express our surrender. To express our surrender. You will understand that um, the hymn scriptures, sorry, there's a hymn in uh, hymnals that we normally sing, Oh, to Jesus I Surrender. It has remained very strong over the years because of the truth it represents. That's not what I'm wanting us to sing, but when you think about that hymn, it says, Oh, to Jesus I Surrender, Oh, to Him I Freely Give, uh, and goes through the line, touching different areas of a person's life. We, we have to do that level of very personal introspection in order to get there. But what I want us to do in preparing here today, and we pick up one of the McDonald's tunes to prepare our hearts for surrender. If we can play the words up there, that would be great. Take a few moments, beloved, on this first Sunday of the year. 